being gone last week for camp, knowing I was going to be at camp, knowing I would not have time at camp to properly prepare for today, I asked my brother-in-law, as you know, Robert Peck, to bring today's message. And of course, wasn't thinking about the calendar, but this is kind of, today's his birthday. So my birthday gift for him is to get up here and share God's word. So you're welcome. Um, for those that know, uh, Robert is a sergeant with the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office. He, for a long time, he worked in the traffic homicide division. So whenever there was a bad accident or an accident with a homicide, he would be on the news. So you would see his, his face in the news. And a lot of times he was standing in front of media who did not necessarily receive him greatly. So let's not act like them today. And let's let's uh, act happily to receive the, the message that Robert is giving to us, but he's going to continue our study today in Nehemiah. So I'm going to ask him to go ahead and come on. Let's make him feel welcome today. Oh, bring up the terrible memories of standing in front of the camera at three o'clock in the morning. Um, as we, before we get started, I, I did it in the first service and I'll do it here too. Um, I know Curtis could be up here all day mentioning all the prayer requests, um, but this today, um, for whatever reason, as, as you were going over and as uh, Mike was going over in the first service, my eyes just got drawn down to the bottom right corner. Uh, I'm a bit biased when it comes to this, having been to most of these places um, and dealt personally with these missionaries, but if we can just continue to pray for our missionaries, and um, Gary and Dina there in Ecuador... Uh, Pastor Subarau in India, Pastor Solomon also in India, Brachur, the district of Brachur, Colin Krupa, also missionaries to India, Dan and Lori Fuller, they're in Thailand, and then Mike and Julian Domke, missionaries to the Ukraine. If we could just continue to pray for them uh, amongst all the other prayer requests as well. Uh, they're not any more special than anybody else, but they are sacrificing the comforts, if you will, of being home and their families and other things to, to serve abroad. You know, I know Gary and Dina, their their family just exploded from three grandchildren to six uh, in a very short period of time through adoption and a, a, another biological grandchild, and they were able to spend some time with them the last couple of weeks, I believe. So just keep praying for all the missionaries, and keep praying that you will be called to be one of those missionaries. And maybe not so much to go live over there, but to come with us a couple times a year when we go, or to, to be missionaries to that neighbor next door that... Um, you know, needs to hear the word. But anyways, with that said, um, as you can see, we're continuing through the, the book of Nehemiah. We're in chapter 8 today. Uh, and so as I was, as I was preparing, I, I love to use this example in Sunday school and, and, you know, whenever I'm teaching, the Israelites always remind me of a, a good roller coaster. They'll get to the top, and they'll be up there for a little while, and then phew, they're right down to the bottom. They're in the valley for a little bit, and then they'll hit the next hump. And I was thinking whoever designed the roller coaster must have been reading about the Israelites when he came up with that idea of the ups and the downs and the ups and the downs. I'm not sure where the flip or the loop comes in, but anyways, that reminds me of that story. Um, Kelly, my wife, convinced her mother that the Kraken at SeaWorld did not have any inverted portions to it, and it was just a simple roller coaster. That's the closest I think I've ever felt to having lost my mother-in-law to a tragic incident. She was not happy, so 
You ever you ever want to spin up Anne Harriet? Just bring up the Kraken uh, roller coaster ride. Um, anyways, that just roller coaster brought that to my attention. So, as you can see, we're, we're word-minded people, and you know, through the last several weeks, we've been in Nehemiah that the the story basically is the fact that the walls were broken down, Israel was broken down, but through building they got the temple rebuilt. Nehemiah got a, a burden on his heart from the Lord that the walls were still broken. So he went to, uh, got permission from the king, uh, risked his life basically to get that permission to go and lead the charge to build the walls. And so now when we come to Nehemiah 8, we're at the point where the walls are finished. And so that's kind of what we're going to look at, the post-wall building time for Israel. But I'm going to bring up another large project that all of you know about, but as I go through the different different facts, it'll probably come to you. And if not, don't worry about it. So there's a construction project that happened here in the States. I won't give a date because that'll pretty much give it away. But it was built in 410 days, so less than two years. At the peak of construction, if you will, when they were chugging along the best, there was at least or around 3,400 workers on the site each day. And again, at the peak of construction, they were able to put up four to four and a half stories a week on this particular building. Uh, when they were done, it was a total of 102 floors, 1,250 feet tall. Anybody got any ideas that wasn't in the first service? Empire State Building. And in order to, I don't know if you know the history of those large buildings in New York City and across the world, it was always a race to see who could have the tallest building. And so in order to make sure that the Empire State Building was the tallest, they added a spire that was designed to attach air balloons, hot air balloons, dirigibles, whatever you want to call them, for passenger travel. This was before jet planes were widely used in commercial aviation. Ultimately, terrible idea. Imagine New York winds with a dirigible full of air blowing around trying to attach at the top of a 1,000-foot building. Terrible idea, but the point was to make it taller. So with said uh, antenna or uh, docking mechanism, it was 1,454 feet, which made it the tallest building in the world for 40 years until... That's what the Sears the Twin Towers, took over in 1971. So all that work that they put in, they started in uh, 1929, I believe, April 11th of 1931. The Empire State Building was completed, and then a few weeks later on May 1st, they dedicated it. Now, the reason I had got all these facts was kind of to hopefully see what the celebration was like when the building was, uh, was completed. I didn't find any of that, but I can imagine if you've seen celebrations in New York City on TV, I'm sure it was huge, um, you know, maybe not as big because the Great Depression just kind of wrapping up, going through that. But imagine the celebration for almost two years' worth of work, all the time, effort, concrete, um, all those things that go in there. I imagine the people celebrated this thing. And if you think about it, when I was researching, two years ago was the 90th anniversary. They're still celebrating that building. What are some things that you think about when you hear the, the Empire State Building? Uh, one of the first things they did was film the movie King Kong, the old original King Kong. They used it for movies, uh, love stories. I don't know the ones from back in the old days, but I do Sleepless in Seattle was one where they had love stories. So it's a very iconic building, very celebrated even to this day. I imagine that the workers and the general contractor probably just want to go take a nap for a week or two, um, kind of like the adults that have got back from their camp old, you know, get back with the youth and want to rest for a week or so. But um, what we're looking at today is 
the finishing of the wall, and what did the people of Israel do when the wall was finished? Did they party like it was 1999 or 1931, I guess, if you're talking about the Empire State Building, or did they, did they rest for months and months at a time until they got their energy back to continue doing God's work? And we're going to see um, what they did. Remember that the Empire State Building was built in 410 days. <clears throat> the wall was done in 52 days. And it also wasn't done where you could just wake up in the morning, go put in your eight hours of work, and then go to sleep. You were building with one hand, carrying a sword with the other, defending from the opposition that was trying to stop this wall from being built. So it wasn't just a simple construction project. It was almost a mini war, if you will, the war to get the wall done for protection for the city. So we've got that going on. So the people, they were exhausted. You know they were physically, mentally tired. They probably also wanted to celebrate. I mean, think about the joy of getting that wall back up, sort of bringing Jerusalem back to where it was in its days of glory. So there's the possibility they wanted to celebrate. Um, I know as we look around, and Jordan had mentioned, Micah had mentioned in the first service, obviously you guys already saw, be careful walking around between the buildings because some of the concrete is now paths of mulch. That's a sign of progress, uh, mentioning that, August 21st, we should have little ones running around here five days a week for school. Uh, didn't seem like a few times that that was going to happen, but I know in the early phases when I was the treasurer, I saw firsthand what Micah, Richard, and the team did to continue to make this go forward. Um, and I see the videos. I know Brother Steve's posting pictures from the cameras out there. We get to see kind of real time what Richard's doing out there, putting in sewer and septic and all that stuff that goes on. Um, I imagine that everybody's going to want to rest when that is over, all the work that's been put into it. Uh, so we see projects. There's different ways to celebrate, and we're going to look at today what the Israelites did when they were um, when their project was completed and they were ready to move to the next step uh, in their lives. So, again, if your Bibles aren't there, go ahead and turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. And if you are willing and able, please stand as we read God's word. We're going to read the entire chapter, Nehemiah 8. Uh, there are a large number of names in here. Bear with me as I work through them. Um, and none of them are Fred, Bob, or the easy ones that I can pronounce. So, chapter 8, Nehemiah. Ezra reads the law. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. Uh, make a note of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Matthiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads, and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebathai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanam, Peliah, and the Levites 
helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave sense. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they had heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Verse 13. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. There we go, that seventh month. And that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his own roof and in the courts and and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. From, for from the days of Yeshua the son of Nun to that day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day from the first day to the last day he read from the book of the law, or the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the law. Thank you for your guidance, for your son, for the Holy Spirit, all the things that allow us to, uh, to, to know you, God, to, to have a relationship with you, Lord, to be your children. I just bless the reading of your word, God, and help us to uh, understand your word as it's being spoken and as you're reaching into each heart and, and dealing with each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. All right. So first, um, as we read here in chapter 8, there was a desire for the word. The people desired to hear the word of God. Um, and I, I think about their situation. Remember, 70 years they were in captivity. Most of these people, uh, I, I believe scholars think about 50,000 would have been in Jerusalem at the time of the wall was completed. Most of them probably had never or rarely heard the law. They were in exile their entire lives. They were born outside of Jerusalem. They, they didn't have access to it like their forefathers did. So um, I, I, just, I think it's amazing that the people said, hey, we want to hear the word of God, having not heard it for uh, approximately 70 years. And, and you notice in verse um, 17, it says in the second half of verse 17, for from the days of Yeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. They had not kept the Feast of the Tabernacles, which, um, as we see in Deuteronomy and Le uh, Leviticus and other places, that that was to be done every seven years. They were supposed to come and have this gathering, the Feast of the Booths, every seven years to read the law and then to celebrate God being with them while they were in the booths during the, the exodus from Egypt. So um, the people were... They wanted to hear the word. If you look at, at verse verse 1, it says, All the people were gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the laws that the Lord had commanded Israel. So the people had this longing in their heart. They knew what they needed. It was the word of God, and fortunately they had Ezra who had it. 
And I, I think I'm not a historian um, like my wife and my son, but I think it's neat. In, in the scripture, it says the book uh, of the law of Moses is probably a big scroll, uh, very long. And <clears throat> you think 50,000 people, what is that, a decently attended Jaguar game? If you want to put 50,000 people in perspective in one spot and you think about it, that's built or in a stadium that goes up. Me personally, when there's more than 10 or 15 people, I start getting a little nervous, so I don't attend things like that. But think of 50,000 people on the ground. It's not an auditorium built for people. So they had to put Ezra up high so that everybody could, could have an idea and they could see him as he was reading from the scroll, the law that was given by Moses. So just a, a little bit of neat history as far as that goes. Um, one thing as I was, as I was reading this and, and preparing for the lesson, um, and I'm going to ask a question. I don't want answers to no hand raising, things like that. But as I said, we we're going to read the scripture and read the whole chapter. And I've done this myself, and that's the reason I said it, because Mike has done it before. We're going to read the whole chapter. Did any of you go, I'm going to have to stand for the reading of a whole chapter. And I, I, I told myself that, and I was like, that's ridiculous. Anybody, how long did these people stand and listen, stand and listen to the word of God? From first of the morning till noon, about six hours, they stood listening to the word of God. And they didn't just listen like sometimes we do. Um, and by listening, I mean you've got 42,000 other things going on in your head. You hear some words in the background. You maybe look up once in a while to see the, the slide. But they were listening attentively um, in verse 3. In the presence of the uh, men and the women, all those who can understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. They were desiring. They were hungering. They, they needed the word of God. And I think sometimes in our spoiled, uh, where we're at now in this country and in our lives, every one of us has the whole story, the whole law in front of us. We can pick it up at any time. Heck, we can be on our phones and have it with us uh, constantly. There's no time that any of you have a phone in here that you'd be without the word. Um, and yet, I think we get numb, desensitized. I don't, I don't know what the word, the word is, but we don't have that hunger. We don't have that desire. It's just always there. And I encourage us as a group, as a faith family, strive for that hunger. Search the word. There's lots and lots and lots to the book um, that we can study. It never gets old. And, and read it twice, and I guarantee you, God will speak to you different ways sometimes. The word doesn't change. Scripture is scripture. The word doesn't change. It doesn't tell us to do things it didn't tell us to do before. But it speaks to us different because it's a living word. It's not just a book, a history book that we can read. Um, like we talked about the in Deuteronomy 31, 10 through 13, if you just kind of flip over there. In the first services, I was flipping through verses. I remember I... Sort of grew up in church, but stopped when I was a youth, so I never really attended Bible drills. Anybody ever go to Bible drills? Yes. I, I never went, but one time Brother Billy uh, encouraged us, that would probably be made us, all be volunteers to be judges over at Highlands Baptist there on Broward Road. And to watch those kids, I mean, that was it. It didn't matter what scripture you asked them to either. They were like, and then they'd read it to you. Amazing. I, I, I envy them sometimes. I need to work harder to get there myself. But anywho, as I was flipping through, um, that's something that, 
that came to mind. So Deuteronomy, got sidetracked, didn't even open myself. 31. And it'd be verses 10 through 13. So and Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths. Also, if you see the Feast of Tabernacles, it's the same thing. When all Israel comes up, comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. <clears throat> Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, and be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, so long as you live in the land that you're going over to the Jordan to possess. If this situation isn't set up by God, I don't know what it is. However many years before, Moses is talking about uh, the reasons that they're going to do the Feast of the Booths, and it's going to be on the seventh month. It just so happens that the wall was finished on the seventh month. I don't believe that. Um, it was perfectly finished when it should have been. But it says, why, why do they do this? Uh, to do all the words that the children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord. Almost all the people here probably didn't know it, hadn't heard it. So this Feast of the Booths was an impressive one, if you will. Almost nobody knew what it was, um, and yet they were called at this time, this specific time, to hear and learn the words of the law. Uh, as I was studying, another thing that came up and something that I asked us to consider and to think about when um, this is specifically coming to hear the word, but think about this. This is David Platt. It's a quote that I found. What if we take away the cool music and the cushion chairs? What if the screens are gone and the stage is no longer decorated? What if the air conditioning is off and the comforts are removed? Would his word still be enough for his people to come together? Um, you know, and as in that, a lot of that stuff, I'd be like, yeah, sure, it's easy, but turn off the air in here and, you know, we have to go sit outside. Am I still going to show up? Those are the kind of things that we really have to ask ourselves. Do we desire God's word enough? that if all this was gone, would we still come and worship him? Um, it also, uh, the people desired the word, and they came and studied and listened, but it was also a call to the leaders. So think about um, what we looked at. You've been um, studying for six hours. You go home, finish the day, and then if we look at um, verse 8, so while the reading is going on, the elders and the, the Levites are... Um, they helped, they went, they went around amongst the people, they read from the book, the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So the elders that knew, that understood the word, they walked around through this, you know, six-hour uh, gospel session, if you will, you know, law session, and, and helped. And then, um, if you go to verse 13, on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. Those of us in leadership position, are we that hungry for the word that we come and we, we listen to Micah and we, we just eat it up during the service and then we, we prepare the next day, um, we're back in the word, learning more, and, and, and I don't, again, when I say this stuff, I've got that invisible mirror right here talking to myself as much as anybody else. Um, so the people were absolutely hungering for the word. And... Um, they also listened attentively, as we talked about, I believe, in verse 3. So the people, they were a people that desired the word, and they were a people that worshiped the God of the word. So what is their response 
um, as the word is being read to them. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. This is verse 6. And all the people answered, Amen and Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Um, so we see their initial reaction is praise. They, they, Amen, preacher, bring it, Ezra, Pastor Ezra, whatever they called him back in the day. Um, I'm with you. We, so be it. We agree. We're in agreement. And they bowed down to the, the sovereignty of the Lord and praised him. But they also had another reaction that came along with it. If you look in, um, starting in verse 9, uh, towards the middle, it says, And the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And they didn't weep because the words of the law were sad. It pierced their heart. The law that they hadn't heard for 70 years or so at least had shown them what they were doing wrong, and they, they wept and mourned for their sin. And I'll take a minute, and um, when we hear the word worship, mainly what I think about, and I don't know about you, is the instruments, the piano, the organ, the song worship that we do as we come to church. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not knocking at all. That is part of worship. But I also think that what the Israelites did here, recognizing their sin, uh, basically mourning and weeping over that and repenting of that sin is another form of worship. You know, hungering for the word and then listening to it when we're called to the, to the woodshed, if you will, to use an old cliche. Um, that's another part of worship. Hungering for the word and studying is part of our worship. Listening attentively like they did here is part of our worship. Um, one thing that I want to bring out as, as they're worshiping, if you, if you look in verse 10, Nehemiah 8.10, as we read, it says, Go on your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. So the Israelites were apparently Baptists because when they were sent away to celebrate, they were sent to eat, right? We just, we just changed the uh, portions into casserole. That's the only difference. However, comma, it says, for this, day, uh, for this day is holy to the Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And regardless of what we do, what we purpose to do, what we think we're going to do, we're not going to do it without the strength of the Lord. Uh, we're, we are all utterly useless, if you will, in our own strength when it comes to the kingdom of the Lord. So they're, they're reminded as they're weeping and mourning, let the joy be in the strength of the Lord. That's where, that's where your strength comes from. Um, and so the people realize that what we deserve, God's holy justice, and when I say that, you know, 20 years in law enforcement, I have a strong opinion on what I think justice should be, how it should work, when it should work, what the rules should be. But even with that, my thought of justice is inadequate compared to God's justice. It's not perfect and holy justice, but his is. So the people understood that, and as they fell, um, they were acknowledging that. But we remember, and as they were told in their celebration, yes. We have to recognize our sin, repent of it, strive not to do it. However, God's grace will cover that sin. Uh, Jesus paid the price on the cross. Now, I always throw in a caveat with that when I talk about grace, that let's not cheapen grace. We can't have the mindset that we get to run around and say, I'm going to do this or that because I know it's wrong, but because I know grace is stronger, and so I can get away with whatever I want. That is not the right thing to do. And that will come and bite you, I guarantee you that. But 
Um, so the people understood they, they deserved justice, but then as the Levites instructed them, they celebrated because of God's grace. Um, so again, a little caveat, we need to make sure that we still understand our guilt and don't neglect our responsibility to repent. The beauty of God's plan and mercy is that we ultimately be forgiven, but we must understand our sin and the weight of the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. Which takes me to the third point, that they obeyed the word. Um, so we talked about the Feast of Booths or the Feast of the Tabernacles. And real quick, if we go to Leviticus, uh, Leviticus 23, verse 42. Leviticus 23, 42. It says, um, you shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so as we see, it's a, a remembrance. The booths, the part of doing the booths is the remembrance of God taking them out of Egypt. And I know ultimately the Israelites grumbled most of the trip, <laughs> most of the 40 years. But imagine the weight lifted off as you're taken out of slavery and you're now, while you're still in the desert, you're still free. So it's a celebration of God being with them, providing for them while they were in the Exodus. Um, so... In this reading, as they're reading the law, they're instructed that the uh, it's time for the Feast of the Booths. And what do the people do? They're told to go out in the hills and, and build booths and stay in them. So the people went out, verse 16. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his own roof, in their courts, in the courts of their house and of God, and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. They all made booths. What did we just talk about they just spent 52 days doing? building, fighting, struggling, they're exhausted. But when the word of the Lord pierced their heart and said, hey, go build some booths, what did they do? And it wasn't, they didn't get to just go down to Home Depot, go through the contractor's gate, get enough wood and nails and, and a, you know, Ryobi power drills to put it together. They did it all by hand. They had to go out and find the trees, build the booths, put stuff over them. And again, it wasn't, you know, they didn't have a portable AC unit they hung on the side to keep it cool. It was, um, you know, out there in nature. So when they were told one of their sin, they fell, they repented, and then they were told that it's time to celebrate the Feast of the Booths as the law requires. They didn't hesitate. They jumped up, and they went to it. Um, and again, I, I just love the fact that this is a, like a huge celebration of reinstating that every seven years. I can imagine the next seven, and seven years later when they did the Feast of the Booths again, and the people had had seven years to digest the word and listen to Ezra and, and, and the, the Levites, that the next one was even was even grander. But I don't know that it's mentioned in here. I'm just making a you know just little creative liberty, if you will, the Robert Standard version, I guess, if you'd say. Um, so even though they they didn't know about it, they they were told about it and they they jumped into it. And as I was studying, one thing that that came. To mind is John 14 15 it's the words of Jesus and it says if you love me you will keep my commandments and it's such a simple statement that can be so tough to to honor but if you love me keep my commandments and that's the the beautiful picture I got here from the Israelites in Nehemiah 8 they loved God they didn't quite know what was going on but they kept the commandments they heard the word and they followed it um, and so as we think about scripture and what it means to us, I, I found a quote by John Stott, uh, a pastor 
Uh, he's since passed away. But it says, we need to repent of the haughty way in which we sometimes stand in judgment upon Scripture. I'll make a little more sense here in a second. And must learn to sit humbly under its judgment instead. If we come to Scripture with our minds made up, expecting to hear from it only an echo of our own thoughts and never the thunderclap of God's thoughts, then he will not speak to us and we shall only be confirmed in our own prejudices. So if we come to Scripture with our agenda and we read it to translate to our agenda, it's going to come back void. But if we, we, we sit underneath the word, we allow it to change us, we allow it to tell us what God wants us to hear from it, then it'll, your life will never be the same. It'll be amazing. I guarantee you that. So to wrap things up, if you will, um, Bible reading is of the utmost importance. It's not simply an item to be checked off a daily list. Daily Bible reading is good. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But let's not do it just to check it off the list. But it should be the focal point of our day, our season, and our seeking. In the midst of all our good programs and projects, we need to remember that people and people's urgent need to feed on and follow God's life-giving word. Share with others the importance of the word. So kind of in closing, and I'm going to try and read the right paper this service, Micah. Um, a couple things that can help us get through, not get through, but to, to hunger for the word, to put it into practice, to use it, to apply it, to be faithful to it. Um, two of them Micah has taught about extensively. I'm just kind of bringing them up as a reminder. Uh, one thing that we can do, and there, you'll see the common theme here, is pray. And he uses the acronym PRAY, P-R-A-Y, praise, repent, ask, and yield. And I know for me, there's two in there that I struggle with. The repenting, because you hate to admit you're doing something wrong and give it up. But then to yield. You know, we ask, that's kind of what Stott was saying. We ask God for something, he tells us the answer. We're like, but, 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 this is what I was asking for, not this. So when God gives us the answer, we need to yield. Um, and then we look at uh, studying God's word when we're in the Bible and we're studying. And Micah has given us the REAP method, R-E-A-P. Read the word, examine the word, apply the word, and pray the word. See example number one, how to pray, how to pray through the word. And then one thing that I found as I was studying, and this is from Lifeway Christian Resources, we talked about listening and the people listening intently, intently, I'm sorry, attentively. Um, so I found something that has to be for, uh, that helps with active listening. And I started out by saying, listen up, guys. This will help you listen to your wives as you're going, you know, through conversations. But more importantly, it'll help us to study the word. So we aren't always the most efficient listeners. Studies show that immediately after listening, so uh, to a 10-minute presentation, so I've gone about 30 minutes, the average listener only retains 50% of what was said. Consider the following recommendations for better listening. Pray. Again, there's a theme here. Everything starts and ends in prayer. Uh, pray the psalmist prayer. Open my eyes so that I may contemplate wondrous things from your instruction. That's Psalm 119, 18. Ask God to help you see what the text is teaching. Pray for your pastor, your teacher, or the one communicating the word. Open your own Bible. Resist depending solely on any screens up front. There's great advantage in interacting with the text right in front of you. Take good notes. Grab a notebook or a journal that you designate solely for sermon and Bible study notes. And this is one that uh, I haven't tried. So immediately talk about it. Talk about what you heard. Talking about what you heard reinforces what you heard. And then take it with you. Resist the temptation to close the book once the sermon or study is over. Review your notes during the week.
And so as we, as we read about and we study Nehemiah and the Israelites during this time, may we take some lessons from them, uh, how their hunger for the word, how they desired to hear the word, um, how they worshiped when they heard the word, and then their obedience to the word. And I thank you guys for your time. go ahead and ask you to stand. I'm going to ask the praise team to please come forward as we enter this time of invitation and consecration and let us pray. Um, Father, we thank you for your word. Again, your word is living. It is powerful. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. As we learned this week through our memory verse, God, all scripture is given by your inspiration and it is profitable. Lord, help us to desire your word. Help us to worship you, the God of the word. And Father, help us to obey it. So just put within our hearts, God, a desire for you. To know you more, to obey you better. And just finish this time, God, in a way that only you can. As we're about to, to sing, Father, just strengthen our faith. And Lord, your word says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word. That if we if we want our faith to grow, and yet your word is closed, God, then we don't want to grow in our faith. We will mostly, most often, God, grow in our faith with an open word before us. Just finish this time. In Jesus' name.